Hey there, Beverly Hills 90210 fans. It's now time to dive deep into an episode-by-episode, character-by-character, song-by-song account of the making of your favorite zip code. With your host, Charles Rosen. I sit in the chair. If one of Sandy's antiques, the whole thing breaks. Larry Mullen. He's not shouldn't be even in this show. I hope they're going to kill him, and they did. Pete Ferrero. Up my like TV crush is Claire Arnold. So I mean, she has to come on the show at this and point. And representing the fans, Lily Amaran. And I love you. I have dreamt about you. What? I'm... Along with many special guests and your questions. So sit back and relax because it's like totally time for the Beverly Hills 90210 show. All right. We have a loaded panel of people this week. This is very exciting. Um, talking about double ups. Chuck, I know me and you have wanted to talk about this for some time now, but let me start by introducing everybody around the room. And I will start with uh, David Semmel. David, how are you? Hey, Peter. Yeah. I'm hello. hearing another version of the show running. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I don't. Or like, I'm, I think I'm hearing like a massive delay. Uh, it could be a delay. I was saying before we started, if you see the button that says "Leave Studio," if you hit "Leave Studio" and then come back in, sometimes that will fix the uh, the issue. Let me, let me try that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. So let's start off with Diana Valentine. Hello. How are y'all? <laughs> How's everything going with you? Uh, Everything's great in this time period. I know you've been you've done quite a bit since uh, the nine hundred two one zero world. What where people could have seen some of the stuff that you've done uh, since nine hundred two one zero? What other kind of what things uh, have you worked on? Uh, well, scripting wise, I kind of went from nine hundred two one zero to Charmed to uh, Nip Tuck, and then to NCIS Los Angeles, which was the last thing I script supervised on. Okay. Did you do all of Nip Tuck? I came in the second season and did um, the rest of the show. And my first episodic directing was uh, Christian Troy 2, which was the third episode before the show finished. That was a wow. tough show. That was a brutal one to watch. Is, that um, was you know, interesting. Like, I'm going to be progressive. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> it, it was one of those ones when the scripts came out, everybody at lunchtime was reading the script because it was just so crazy. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And then also with us here is uh, Drew Kinney, uh, was the art director on 90210, right? Yes, absolutely. How are you doing? Good, man. Uh, so what about you? What have you been doing since the, since the 90210 days? Well, I, uh, I, I, I quote-unquote retired from the business shortly thereafter and uh, <laughs> became a college professor, which I was for nearly 20 years. And now I work for a uh, grocery store chain, Foodline, doing digital designs like website design, advertising, that kind of stuff. Very cool. Very awesome. Uh, and then David Semmel, how is the show going for you now? It's going great. I'm only hearing one of you. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's try this. Uh, if you hit, you can also try to hit the refresh button in your browser. Sometimes they say that works. No, it's good. I'm good. Oh, you're good. You're clear. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. So tell me what you've done since uh, 90210. Uh, well, wow. Uh, I've been busy <laughs> directing a fair amount of one-hour television. Uh, most recently, I did The Watchmen. And uh, I just did this new show for HBO called The Nevers for Joss Whedon, which 
got shut down because of, you know, our global pandemic, but hopefully yeah. they'll have a chance to finish up. You did one of the Watchmen, David. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Great, great experience. Very, very cool to be involved with that. I noticed that uh, um, uh, two of the Emmy nominations that the show received, one was David Eisenberg, who's a young editor, whose uh, father, Max, was, uh, was a 902 writer and a good friend. He, he works for the Clippers, so I don't hold that against him. And then uh, the other editor, uh, Hank Van Egan, who sure. did, you know, Hank was our editor on 90210 and yep. did a couple of years and was a fine guy. And I, I got to hang out with him in Rome one night, one day. It was a lot of fun. Good I guy. With Hank. Happy for all of you. I, I worked with Hank a bunch over the years on a bunch of different shows. And David, who actually cut my episode, I'd never worked with before, but was obviously thrilled to see that he got nominated. Excellent. That's yeah, very, cool. very good. I think you did a couple of episodes of Heroes too, maybe at some point in your. I did. I did the pilot. I just did the one episode, but I did the first one. Yeah, I love that. Show. Yes. Thanks. That was, Thanks. I received an Emmy nomination. He doesn't have a publicist here, so I'm the best he's got. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, it's been sort of a long time that you've been kind of my pseudo publicist, isn't it? Nah, well, it was, but you know, not for the last ten years. You've been on your own. I, I just, I'm inspired today. That's, um, sometimes more... you got to let the birds leave the nest. I'm going to also introduce everybody to Melanie Rose before I get into other people here, because Melanie is uh, subbing for Lily this week, representing the fans. So uh, I just wanted everybody to know that Lily will be back next week, but she needs some time. So we've got Melanie here. Hey, Melanie, how hey, are everybody. you? I'm great. Hello, Melanie. Yeah, it should be a, a fun one. Yeah. And then lots of good questions. Cool. <laughs> and then we have Allison. Sarah Melston is here. And I, I, I commented before the show that I knew her from The Wonder Years, right? She had done an episode of The Wonder Years. What have you been doing yeah. since uh, 90210? Well, um, it's interesting. I feel like my life as an adult has been sort of divided into like three acts <laughs> so far. That's um, a good so dramatic structure, Sarah. It's like different lifetimes, you know what I'm saying? Like it was so long ago. But anyways, um I did a bunch of acting as you might know, um, like all through the nineties and you know, ended up at that time, even though I had just graduated college, was playing a lot of teenage, you know, parts through the nineties. Then I um Full disclosure, had some really like harrowing hashtag me too Hollywood cliche episodes that uh, we don't need to go into here, but suffice to say, it really threw me for a loop. And um, yeah, that's pretty Sorry much why that. I stopped acting, which is kind of a bummer, honestly. Yeah. Because I had a, like, mm. unlike a lot of people, I actually was working and had a good career. But uh, I just couldn't take that dynamic at all. And um, so after kind of trying to like slog through it for a little while longer, I just sort of was like, you know, I think I'm going to kind of look for other things to do. So at that time, I had a band that I had started and I had like because I'm a songwriter and a singer, too. And uh, I kind of got a little more serious about that and ended up um, making a record um, just on our own, you know, me and, and the band. And then I ended up getting a record deal. Nice. Um, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So I put out a record. My first album came out um, like 12 years ago. So 2008. And then. Time I, out. Time <laughs> out. 
It was a great, uh, not only was it a great album. Oh, thank you. I, uh, Sarah, actually drove to our house in uh, when we lived in Westwood to give me the, a, a copy of, I don't even know if it was released yet, because yeah. I had called her oh, lawyer, right. who happens to be my son-in-law's older brother, and right. said, I knew he, knew, I said, I don't know anybody who does music, but isn't it? And, he, and you were the client, and I think we licensed three of you your did. songs. You did. And you one did. of them what ended was the up the being, What was the name of the band? Just, it was it just was, Mike. It was just right. there. And one of them name? was. Yeah, it was a solo artist. And then yeah. one of them was um, a Chevy commercial. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. No, my songs have been on like Grey's Anatomy and um, different shows. Are you on you iTunes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on iTunes, Spotify. Um, and I have a, I have a new, I have a new release that's coming out next Friday, the seventh, August seventh. Congratulations! Very cool. Thanks. Congratulations! Thanks. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to make sure we licensed it for South of Nowhere. Yeah. I didn't know exactly. if I said you the title. Exactly. Exactly. I Larry still, wrote on that too. I still get so much nice like fan. I get fan messages from that show from the music being on. It's so interesting. The gay overlap too because i played a lesbian on this episode you know on these episodes and then south of nowhere it's just i don't know but well think of how that makes me feel and i wrote both so what does that say well, about me i don't know i, I don't know. know we love That's women wondering. i know that is for sure but that is you going to be looking up your music so there you go thank you and i have to say i mean it's so funny because like i've been thinking like i really actually do want to do more acting you know Especially now that all the, all the, you know, everything's come full circle with like people just like, I hadn't even really, I had, re I had really repressed a lot of that mm. stuff. And so now it's like come out and I'm like feeling I'm working through it. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? F that. Why did I quit? You know what yeah. I'm saying? So like, yeah, just putting that out there. Should anyone be back to <laughs> anyone the here? COVID activity? <laughs> Paul, somebody can put that in right. the email. Melson, M E L S O N. Correct. And then uh, also, we have the two usual suspects my t shirt twin, right? Uh, Larry Mullen. <laughs> We're both wearing the t shirt. So. Good evening, everybody. I uh, It's always a pleasure to actually look at these shows again, which we probably should start talking about soon. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was great to, to, to do that. I've had a productive week, and it was always a treat to kind of go back and look at stuff you haven't seen since it aired and go, wow, how the heck did we put all those things together and did that? And, oh, my God. What courage. Thank you, guys. And, you know, also you a, star a starring role in this episode. Well, let's not forget. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> he went out and got the role. I had written a much bigger part for myself, but Chuck cut it out. I had many scenes. Brody, we see the Brody in the We see him getting high. And we see the Brody getting I actually, I remember getting a fair amount of your backstory from you, Larry. And I thought you did a pretty effective job in your one or two lines. Of I felt a lot of that character's backstory. I felt their. I will tell the story now since it's a place. I actually thought you were a roadie. Go. I thought you, yeah. Well, not only was I a roadie, I was a roadie for Blood, Sweat, and Tears, but my manager, my road manager, was a guy named Larry Waterman. And when we were rehearsing the scene, I looked over at the Rolling Stones road manager and it was Larry Waterman. So this was like 1995. I was in 1969. 
I was a roadie with them. And I said, Larry, it's Larry Mullen. And he went, oh my God, what band are you with? I went, no, no, I'm, I'm a writer producer on the show. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> It was like the greatest kind of it was crazy. Oh, that's funny. All right, and then we have Chuck Rosen, um, who put this whole thing together, man. This is really awesome. It's super exciting to have everybody reunited and whatnot. How's the week been going for you? We were away last week. Uh, we, we all missed you. You should have seen all the messages. Where's Chuck? Where's Chuck? Where's Chuck? So, uh, you know. Uh, it, was a real, it, was, it was a real special week for us. It was the first time my all the kids and my little granddaughter got to be in the same place for a week. We were up in uh, Mammoth Mountain which is, is uh, I've only known it many, many years ago in winter. Uh, Dave, I thought when I was going to be, um, David, that he'd be up in Utah because he's got a place up there. He spends time up there in winter and I guess summer too. You know, you always think of the mountains as winter resorts, but they are so beautiful and, and Mammoth has all the lakes. And uh, this little baby became a human being. You know how that happens right in front of our oh. eyes. Yeah. That's very awesome. Um, Chuck, let's start here. Tell me where the idea of doing double ups came to your brain or how did it start that we're going to start doing episodes? And maybe we can explain once again for anybody who's watching us for the first time what that even means, a double up. Okay. Well, 90210, it was, I, I don't quite know why it affected our show and nobody else's show, uh, really. Melrose, but it seemed like we would put out a new show and everybody would flock to it. But God forbid we'd ever have to repeat that episode. Oh, I've already seen that one. I, I know what Kelly... Today, look at our wonderful fans. They watch them, you know, 150 times each one. But then they didn't want to watch more than one. It was So Fox knew that they had to uh, put, you know, original episodes out there. And we had already pushed envelope pretty hard with um i think it was 28 hours uh actually it was 29 hours we did in our third season but that was because of the basically the summer episodes so we had a wider time to do it between seasons three and seasons four we actually got time off there was no summer episodes so we actually when i say time off we didn't the writers didn't get time off uh the writers never got time off but uh, but uh, everybody else at that point, there was a, a legitimate hiatus. And so um, so then we had to, and they didn't want to just do 28 episodes. Now they wanted to do 32. And the only way to make that happen was to do two at the same time. And as I've said, you know, a motivating factor from day one, once we became a hit, starting our second year, G-R-E-E-D. And 32 hours instead of 22 hours is 10 times more than anyone's, you know, theoretically payday. So everybody, nobody, I never heard one person said, oh, we shouldn't be doing this. This is crazy. Because even someone like yourself, now, Diana, but let's do something just, just general here. Because the difference, we have, you know, our two crew members, interesting, Diana was on the set and Drew was behind the scenes. So if you think about Diana, if there were two shows going at once, she could not be the script supervisor in two places. So we would hire an additional uh, script supervisor. So you didn't get the financially that full, as a production person, that full benefit of the extra episodes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Am I right? 
Yes, you're right. <laughs> oh, did, did Debolips mean anything to you? I mean, or was it just another episode with a bunch of strange uh, I think, uh, crew members? I think, I think the only thing that it meant was that I still had to read all of the scripts because for the continuity throughout the entire season. <clears throat> so that was it. And Diana also just, I mean, didn't you have to deal with the actors who were still needing the kind of support you offered, even though you weren't on that episode? Like you still had to. Yes. Yes. Um, but I find that on every show anyway, as a script advisor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, but, well, I was going to say, what does David mean when he asks that question? So for fans watching, we can break that, uh, we can break that down when support, what does that mean? Well, because as a script supervisor working closely with a director, um, you have a director, directors that come in and out of episodes throughout the season. But the person there that's dealing with the continuity of the entire show is a script supervisor because they're there every single episode. So sometimes, um, especially if you have a really busy episode, you, you have actors that will come to the script supervisor just to talk about, the arc of, you know, episodes, you know, four through seven that, that they're dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And what about for Drew then? Drew, Chuck, you were saying Drew was um, behind the scenes. So did, was he somebody that was affected by getting sets ready for two episodes at a time then, Drew? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was working on four episodes simultaneously for, for double ups for all, all those years. And it was, uh, I tried to explain this uh, years later to somebody else. It was like, well, it sounds really great because you could make a lot of money. I'm like, yeah, but you have to blow off your entire life. Nice. Everything you were going to do. Like I, all of a sudden I felt like a cop who was having like bad relationships and people going, well, you got to have more time. For <laughs> Sorry, I've got double ups for another month and a half. So uh, see you later. Well, Drew, think of double ups. Since of the, the, all the five years I did 90210 as was one big giant double up. Yeah. Because all there was was show life. I used to yeah. call it show life. Absolutely. Know, actually. Yeah, I mean, I was in my 20s. I didn't really know any different. I was like, yeah, let's go, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> By the way, Drew, Drew, you're also being pretty humble because that set you designed for the Rolling Stones on stage uh, in the midst of double ups was pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, we can pull a rabbit out of a hat every now and then. Uh Months is uh, uh, joining us in chats. If you guys remember Ryan, and he said hard work. Oh. Indeed. Yeah. Hi Ryan. Yeah. Get well, Ryan. He just had a surgery. I uh, saw. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah. Hope you're doing good, man. Um. So yeah. So let, why don't we talk a little bit about the, these? Now, Chuck, you've said to me that these were the mother of the double ups because there is so many moving parts in these two episodes, right? Well, just the they were both. Um, you know, production-oriented episodes. You had the, and, I, and David is going to probably tell most of the story about how this came together because it almost didn't, um, and, and which Larry knows very well. Uh, you know, so we had the huge production of the ro going to film a Rolling, actually just film a, you know, our actors against the Rolling Stone concert and a little bit of the concert actually being there how to even figure out how to do that was an immense challenge. And then we did blow up a car, but we now we're doing something of that magnitude. Of, you know, we were going to have a fire. 
And, uh, and, I, and the truth is, I probably spent most of my time between the two on the Rolling Stones one, just because uh, that one was so uh, tentative for so long. Um, the fire one, I, I was thinking today, I remember one meeting in particular uh, on that one, which I'll share when, when, when appropriate. Um, Diana, which show did you do? Did you do the fire show or did you do the stones? The fire. I really wanted to do the stones, but I did the fire. <laughs> but Chuck, you talked about the stones thing and we've talked about this, but no one probably has heard that. So we'll talk about it again. Uh, sure. <laughs> um, I'm curious to know uh, what it was like for you to get this Rolling Stones episode. I know we've talked about you being a fan and whatnot. Can you reshare that story about how this came into it, your it, It's like real estate. It was location, location, location. Every year after the first season, um, and, and I know that uh, maybe Dave and Larry know this. I'm sure Diana and Drew didn't. I had to go to the network and tip them off to what we're going to fight about that year after the first season, especially in the high school years. It was, you know, what teenage, what, in other words, what are we doing with sex? And they wanted to know uh, because the sales department after the first season took over what had uh, heretofore been an independent function of standards and practices, the censors. But now the, the, the censors reported to sales. We were in Rupert Murdoch's world. And so we, um, so every year I had to go talk to him a nice man named David Grant, and I'd give him heads up of what we'd be doing. Not the creative side, the business side, just so that we could prove that, that we weren't just, uh, you know, the revolutionaries that we were in our hearts, and we were actually going to be working with our business partners on the, on the show uh, it, it itself. And um, I walked in his office, and he said, I'm sorry, I've got to take this. And he picked up the call, and he was happy. He hung up the phone a minute later and said, gosh, the Rolling Stones just signed on. We're promoting them. And I just, when I got that one, that's our show. We, we're doing it. You can do something with The Simpsons if you want. But if, if it's on fuck, it's got to be us. And uh, by that point, we're going to fifth year. We've done very well from the network. And David said yes. And that's how that started. But you said it was tentative for a while before. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna punch it over. We we'd written a nice script. We had all the other scripts. I'm gonna punt it over to when my friend Dave, uh, who started uh, prep on this episode, what we what he was facing and some of the the twists and turns we had to figure out how to get this how to get the personnel to get this done. In the it was it was pretty spectacular. I have to say, it was fun <laughs> watching it, Chuck. And, oh, yeah. you know, all these years later, I've had I've been incredibly blessed to have done some pretty cool things in my career. But just looking at that footage again and realizing what it took and how exciting it was to be a part of it. Um, I do remember that we never really had the full go ahead until we were like days away from shooting. But yeah. just of the logistics um, to shoot. Eight, eight, of the, eight of the cast members went to the concert, right? There were, there were four was groupings. There. there were four groupings of two. Valerie didn't go. That's right. And oh, Luke yeah. didn't go. Probably. Yeah. Right. And um, so the logistics, because you have to remember, I mean, you know, maybe not the Rolling Stones, but those cast members at that point were um, pretty popular. So there was just kind of a, a, a tremendous amount of logistics involved in how to get them in, how to get them into position. We had sort of, I remember Chuck, we sort of worked out, 
a way that we could justify them being all over so that you could give the audience an up close view because Brandon and Gabrielle had, you know, the front row seats. I think Kelly was up in the sort of VIP lounge. Steve and um, the girl he was with were in the mosh pit. And I remember one of the things that was so interesting to me is that we, what we literally did was we had, we had, we knew their set list. They had, they had told us their set list. And um, so we had worked out that I was going to jump leapfrog. We sort of had two shooting crews. So I was going to be with, you know, uh, Steve and well, I can't remember the actress's name or the character, but we, we were going to be them for with them for start me up. And then I was going to, I had literally like my own security that was pushing through the crowd to get me to the, the third, lo the second location, which was maybe Jenny up in the booth. Um, and then that first crew who was shooting Steve and that, that other actress would then go to where Brandon and, you know, where, where Jason and Gabrielle were. Right, yeah. And so it, it was just this sort of hopscotching. And then I would run after we shot them during, you know, uh, Satisfaction. We then, for the next song, jumped to the first crew, which had gone to the third position. And I also remember we had, um, we had they had built this kind of like um, this um, RF, this radio frequency that was around the... Um, the, the Rose Bowl, but was completely our frequency so that we, because there was all this communication with people on headphones and microphones to the different crew and the different ADs who were um, were uh, looking out for the different pods of crew and cast members. So it was, it was a very impressive logistic feat um, that went off without a hitch. And the thing that I kept saying was, I've got to get a shot that connects directly Mick Jagger and Jason Priestley. I got to prove that they were there. It wasn't some trickery. Right. Because truth be told, a lot of that footage, frankly, was from, I don't know, I don't know if I should reel this, Chuck, but a lot of the Drang footage. Drang and Balding. I'm proud of the, you found those guys, Drang and Balding. That's right. That, that's yeah. right. I forgot that, I forgot that that's their name, but they had shot the concert. Right. So, because it was a pretty straightforward In concert. In Jersey, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we were able to cut that with the shots of our cast members there. And so there was this tunnel that, and, go on, go on. well, that they came, that um, Jason and Gabrielle came out of. And I knew that we could sort of visually tie them in. We, I was hoping all through prep that I was going to have some time with the Rolling Stones. That didn't happen. And we didn't know what they knew, what they were into it or not. Sure enough, we're down there. We shoot Jason and Gabrielle, com Gabrielle coming in. And I wanted to bring them in and then hand off. And as we handed off, Mick's coming right to us. I mean, we're literally right there. <laughs> and so I swear to God, he looked at the camera. I mean, I think he knew exactly what was going on because he strutted across the stage and then he came back again. As if well, to say, like, you, 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 want another, you want another bite at the apple? Well, a couple of embellishments. <laughs> a couple of things just to add. Um, we, this was a major negotiation about what David, how he had to shoot, when he had to shoot this. We had basically, they told us we had one, why I was so amped up, the Stone said we had one chance to get it, and that was it. He was coming down, we'd shoot over. Because theoretically, their rationale was, we don't want to, uh, you'll have your lights on, and it will disturb the fan experience. Yeah. So we had, obviously, we have to adjust. So David gets that first shot of him coming down, 
And I almost blow the shot because I'm so happy that they got the shot at all. I go, hey, we got it. We're still rolling, idiot. I go, okay. But the thing is, is that then they, Mick finishes, he goes back, and then all of a sudden, hey, get out your camera. Keith Richard is coming. And now Keith he Richard, over. he's not going to be, you know, uh, upstaged. you know, upstaged by Mr. McDagger. So he comes down. He oh plays God. for David. He goes away and Mick yeah. comes back a second time. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a little more footage to work with. Yeah. I mean, it was a ton of fun. And then I always tell By the, the way, story. Chuck, do you remember? Uh, oh, go on, Dave. Do you remember what I made a big thing about? So they were playing on Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, and they were dark Thursday. And Thursday, right. the dark day, is when we shot, some people call it the, the um, the um, Jamie Walters, Tory Spelling scene. I, of course, call it the Larry Mullen scene, <laughs> where Jamie and, and Jamie and and and, and um, Tory were just really very supportive as, as background players. Um, but we so we shot on the stage, which in and of itself, frankly, Chuck, was one of the coolest things to be standing up on that stage, looking out at a empty Rose Bowl with all the that incredible set that the stones came and then watching Jamie play was really, was just such a thrill. But I, I said, I said, I was like, you know, guys, I think here's what we're going to need to do. So we were shooting the concert on Friday and I think we shot those scenes, all of them around the stadium with our extras and all that stuff, either on Tuesday and Wednesday. I said, you know, this is a big production. I think we, some of the core of us need to go to the concert on Thursday when it's dark just to make sure, or not on the dark day, I'm sorry, on the, on the Wednesday, yeah. when we were shooting, the Wednesday or whatever, I said, I, I just think we need to go to make yeah. sure <laughs> that it's gonna work. And I think we're all gonna need uh, all access passes. And so about eight of us, and I, we, I shot that day's work and, and immediately as soon as I was done, raced over to the uh, stadium, the Rose Bowl and actually heard uh, everybody, you know, JP, I think Paul, whoever else came that night, um, I could hear as I was pulling in or as I was being driven in, I could hear the Chili Peppers. If you remember, they were the warm-up band. Yeah. And I could hear them. Yeah. So I just hightailed it in. And that tunnel, <laughs> that tunnel, I ducked in, the tunnel where the football players come out. This is one of the most That's amazing the things ever. Yeah. The most amazing things that ever happened to me. I, I was following a van and it was going about five miles an hour. As I was just kind of hoofing into it to try to get out to where Jason and Gabriel were going to be. And the van stops right before it gets out to where it would go out onto the field. Doors open, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, oh. and whoever else was in the van. And I'm standing literally on the back of the, I'm standing at the bumper of the van. They go up into this staircase and I'm telling you, they looked like they were five guys going to work. Just <laughs> like no big deal. As soon as they disappeared up the stage, up the stairs, I ran out and got out onto the front of the stage and was looking up and it was these five guys going to work. And in that 20 seconds where they disappeared from my view, they came out in front of 70,000 people and they were the Rolling Stones. Yeah, it's amazing. It was the coolest thing ever. You alluded to this, uh, to this Emmy award scene. I have it here. Hang on. Hey man, what are you doing? Get out of here. Ah, uh, sorry, man. No harm done. Show's over. This is so cool. <laughs> there it is. It's the final cutaway. It's the final cutaway that it's the final cutaway that makes the performance. Yes. Totally. <laughs> How many takes did you have to do with him? How many takes? 
listen, he he nailed it out of the park the first one. You know, we always remember, Dave, we always remember the shot where um, uh, with, with Jason and, and, and Gabrielle, of course, because it was there. But you got one other shot. I was standing around watching it. And I think there was just as much adrenaline pumping because if you, you guys who if you have the episode, or can look back at it when. The concert really physically started the first time you heard the music. That's when Tori and and Jamie run out of the tunnel and up to where right. they're going to watch the show. And that was love. That was not, you know, like that was the song they were playing, the song we were using. That that was yeah. that was all contained. That was a pretty, you know, you know what the work too. Was so fun, Chuck. The cast was so genuinely excited by the whole thing. They couldn't have been more. You know, participatory and really, that's not. Well, I, mean, I, th I think they were won over because it's such an overwhelming experience. But I remember distinctly, and Chuck remembers we were there, and Jason came in and looked at us and went, "The Rolling Stones." No, oh. Larry, <laughs> like really guys exactly are right. over you. And then, and I, so I, I, I used that as a writer to give those attitudes to like Cindy Walsh and the other people, not led to the whole flaming of the Stones. Because that's what the young people, I figured, you know, they don't, because it was right in between their popularity. They were, you know, obviously they and needed it, us. <laughs> and it just wasn't, it, and it just wasn't, by the way, the, uh, the, the cast, I'll say. Not you, Drew, because you weren't at the Rose Bowl. You weren't in this set. So I give you. Drew was a great dead guy. Mm. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. we, I mean, he knows that's two of us. But the, but on this, um, so Dave gets the shot and, uh. We're done. We're done. We've done it. We have done the whole thing was the last one. And now I am telling you, we are 10 yards from the step. We are as close to the stage as you could possibly get. And nobody's going to tell us to move. You can stay as long as you want. And one by one, they all start peeling away. They can't, oh, we got to load the truck. We, we got to do it now. You know, everybody starts leaving. And the last two people standing there was Christine Elise. And myself, Christine wasn't in the scene. She just wanted to be at the concert. So there right. she was and knew we had the access down there. And eventually then Jason comes back and goes, Christine. And so she has to leave. Some <laughs> the last one. Standing, last man standing. And uh, Alex, but David, did you have a it was an exciting night. Though. I, mean, I was at that show. And obviously, we had good season. We were watching our, the fruits of our labor. And it was it was just a magical night in in, in L.A. It was, you know, it was, I remember there was Cindy Crawford was sitting in front of us, and and the guy Robert Shapiro. They showed him on the like, like the TV screen, like he had just got an OJ off. <laughs> People like cheered. You know? David, did you have a different experience with Jason being excited about this? You were well. Play? I mean, I, you know. I don't remember. I mean, I don't remember him griping about it. Uh, but I will say, if you look at that shot, Larry, as I did having oh, Maureen, yeah. he's like, "This is pretty cool." Oh, so whatever well, you're there, we you might have had. Yeah, there's no question. So, just also remember, this was the number of 124 for us. So, yeah. so Jay had been through a few episodes yeah. by that point. You know, sure. you know, the other thing we should mention is these two episodes were sweeps episodes. So these were the money balls. That's why we went for something. So That's big. why they were. So now, big. the other thing, I just have one short gripe here. And I remember if Chuck doesn't share my thing, but this great episode that David directed and this all other things, too. There's Luke and Rehab and this this great uh, trial scene with a character named Dershenbaum. 
going like, you know, Dershowitz. That's why you can drill them. exactly. But no, these were these were these were sweeps episodes, and and you know, we they aired the Rolling Stones episode on the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. We begged them not to because our our audience was driving home from college. It was so cruel of them to do, and it was not a highly rated episode. It just tore my fucking heart out. Yeah, I remember I that at all. I won't say anymore. I've done enough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you also you mentioned the the Dylan scene, and we get Willie gets a line in this thing. It's probably one of the best lines in the in the the episode, right? You, you, you were talking about that with me once before, Larry. Oh yeah. yeah, no, I always felt like you know it was a great scene where everyone, you know you go to rehab and you talk to people and you try to you know pump them up or whatever. So I was always I thought there'd be a way to kind of make an interesting scene if one guy doesn't say anything and the perfect guy was Willie. And so he's there, and the whole scene's going on, and, and, and nothing happens. And finally, Dylan says, hey, Willie, you came all the way out here. You got nothing to say? And then Willie goes, I don't know what to say, Dylan. You just keep messing up. And it's just like, you know, it stings me. So he gets through. It's so simple. So Dylan's a lovely, like, who, lovely asked, moment. who asked you anyway, right? Dylan has that. Yeah, and then he goes, who asked you anyway? Yeah, Dylan improvised that. There's no, a bunch of interesting that's happening in these both these episodes. In Chuck brought this up to me is that there's a computer element to both of the things that are happening, right? Uh, Claire and uh, David are trolling, which is maybe the first time on TV we're seeing tr live trolls. Uh, and then also, the, yeah, and then the fire episode. Uh, you know, the reason why uh, Allison comes to it is because it got dropped in the wrong forum. The electronic bulletin board. This, this is before the WWW, before the World Wide Web. But as Chuck knows, like the Rolling Stones, Delphi was another company that Fox had bought. So they were like an IPS, like an AOL dial-up service. And we said, what the hell? You know, we'll just kind of put them in. You know, we're real whores. We just throw them up there. Claire goes, I'll have to get on the Delphi service. And she kind of goes, and he, drop, he drops the party invitation into the Women Seeking Women. You know, it was, it was a cheap gag, but it works. No, I love it. Um, but was it important? Like, what was was it because of the Fox thing? Is that why you guys were starting to do some computer stuff? Because I mean, this is ahead of its. Right of well, it was well not as you know. The, the, you were gonna say ahead of its time. This was its time, not ahead yeah. or behind. It was when it was starting out, and I know this because um, it was near the end of the first season that uh, Steve Wasserman and Jessica Klein come in and they are really excited about something because there's this new service called Prodigy and they have a chat room and people are talking about our television show. So we get a sense, this is the first time, you know, if you want to know what fans think, you got to do these major testing and stuff like this, but we could actually, well, we can look and, and hear what the fans have to say. And don't think we didn't use those in the arguments until the network caught on that, did you know there was a chat room called Prodigy? Yes, we did. And, and uh, you know, we, we um, it was it was very helpful research to do that and, and, and use that. But I bring it up because it was at the time of computers and to think that, but most shows weren't putting it into plots. And I think we both times, you know, could find out because we were dealing with younger people and they would be having computers. Conversely, I know no one who wanted to use computers less in his television shows than Aaron Spelling. He's, I can show you that he circled them on computers, you know, because all he saw about computers is 
it, you take a shot of the screen and it's small and it's ugly. We're the handsome people, you know. So he didn't like computers. And uh, let me always know that whenever Larry wrote in a computer. <laughs> uh, Larry, before, go ahead. Yeah, go Oh, I was going to say, Larry, before you mentioned you wrote all the flaming stuff about the Stones, there was kind of, sort of a sentiment at the time about the Stones being an older band, and they were at a point where they were, I know they had done MTV that year and all that stuff. So were you playing off of that, or were you was it all coming from the, the Jason conversation that you had? Well, I mean, Jason just typified a lot of what, you know, his generation of people thought of the Stones. They had not fully embraced them at that point. They were, you know, we were coming off a of grunge at that point and, you know, Kurt Cobain and, uh, and you know, and there was a little bit of a commercialism thing in here. I remember a little backlash from people we know because, you know, we're like promoting Fox's act and, you know, so, I mean, you know, but we, as Chuck, you know, when we heard the Rolling Stones, I mean, there was no way we were not going to try to get involved in that. Because we were big fans. And when you see this episode, I mean, it starts so great with the, the music in the Walsh house and Brandon's trying to learn about the, the French Revolution. And now all of a sudden he hears this loud music like Blue Burr in the house and it's his dad, you know, which I guess is true. But it's, and, and it's just great. I mean, and this track is great. And I mean, you know, and then we, we actually see a wonderful scene where they get real sexy and Valerie uh, interrupts them, which is a real kind of a switchover from, you know, the kids of the dead. Oh, there they are. Our dear Carol Potter and Jim Beckhouse. Yeah, they kind of, they think they have the, uh, the house to themselves that night because everyone's at the concert. They're going to basically go at it, you know. So you you asked about the the Stones and feeling defensive about being the older band, the senior yeah. band. What the Stones did to compensate for that, they made a mistake. And you and I once talked about this. They made a mistake in 1972 to have their older act, uh, their old excuse me, their opening act be Stevie Wonder, and he and Stevie Wonder blew them out. They stayed off. It was at Winterland. They stayed off stage for almost two hours because Stevie, and when they came on and they were promoting uh, an album called Exile on Main Street, which had a lot of California stuff, it didn't it didn't rise to the challenge. Yeah. Stevie was supposed to do the whole tour. He ended in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, but what happened after that, and you, I once saw it with Guns N' Roses, and here you saw it when Dave was mentioning um, the Chili Peppers. The Stones would not let the other bands go into their the sound systems. So they had to cart in their own sound systems, which under no circumstance could be the equivalent of what the Stones sounded like. So right. you would never, oh yeah, Guns N' Roses were good, but wow, the Stones, you know, and they and they, they successfully did that. And I was told or read something just recently, they still do that. Hmm. Interesting. Well, there's a classic story with Leonard Skinner where uh, Ronnie Van Zandt, was not allowed to go on that projection, which Mitch Shiger prances down, and he went down it, and then they were off the tour after that. Wow. Interesting stuff. Now, Chuck, in terms of the other episode, the, the Up in Flames episode, did you get any pushback from Aaron at all about this fire? Oh, yes. Um, well, yes, there were two meetings, as I said, and they were like back to back. What Aaron's concern was, and rightly so, was – Oh, what are you doing? You're gonna burn. You have this beautiful girl, and you're gonna burn her face. What are you gonna do? We're gonna find Alice. We're gonna have another character, Aaron. We'll burn her face. Some miraculous thing to get out of it. And I promise you, the burns won't be. There might be some on her neck, and we actually defined where it would be on her neck. 
Yeah, we had to show we tests of that. We had to show tests. We had to show makeup tests. Yes, we did. And 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 the other meeting, which was you you know was was much more tense. I, I will tell you, um, probably the most tense production meeting we had, more than the stones, more than the uh, even blowing up the car. <clears throat> the director's name was Gil Shilton, and he'd only done a few things for us at that point. He was Canadian. He was a work. He was more of a journeyman director, both in Canada and the U.S. I thought he was a terrific director. Um, it, it, you, you, it, with Little Fishes was the first thing he did yeah, for us, and then, and then around. now it's a year later. He's come back. He's done this. And Diana and Dave know that you go up. The directors in an episodic experience, or or others, limited series, whatever it would be, whatever you're doing, come up to the people who running it or the money people and say don't worry i got this covered this is how i'm going to do it and paul um had concerns of how he wanted to do it not how he was going to spend it how is this now i don't remember drew did, did we there was that bathroom did you guys build that bathroom or was that on set we built that yeah so we had a, we had a double yeah and and um, were there other parts? Was that the only part of the uh, that whole the party house that was on set, or some of the upstairs also instead? You know, I'm sure some of the pieces were. When I was watching it, I was thinking the uh, the cutaway of the 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 box sparking. I was thinking that because of double ups, that was probably mm -hmm. in a parking lot somewhere, like you know, married <laughs> with another day, a weird location. Such as can, yeah, and. Um, well, so that was the that was the thing, and and the idea that he would talk about that the fire coming through the door, and and how that was going to work, and where you're going to have the camera, all these kind of things, and you know, uh, it all worked, it all worked, and and really is a very frightening, frightening sequence. For Sarah, um, how did you come into this? How did you come into the nine hundred two one zero universe? Did you? I mean, you auditioned somewhere, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, did we lose Sarah? She's frozen? Sarah, she's frozen. <laughs> oh, no. She's thinking. <laughs> uh, Sarah, you, you click off if you can hear me. She's stuck. I hope she know, I'm going to remove her and then see. But I can answer her question, yeah. Peter, because it's one of your stellar questions. How did she come into it? She walked into the room and auditioned. <laughs> and we thought, wow, wow. She's a, she'd make a great lesbian. And that's what yeah. she said. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and we didn't ask. We did well, not yeah, ask. I was we should mention a couple of people. Welcome Obviously, back. Paul Wagner was a, a major part of these double ups and, and, and designing them. And there was also a guy we called the double ups uh, czar, which was uh, Ken Stringer. Ken Stringer. I just wanted to just kind of remember their names. Say their names. Um, Pete, my, my Wi Fi went out there for a second. No, no worries. Uh, no, so, keeps happening. So if it well, this one, you know, we, we talked this about the big one. The month of it, I remember, and it went on for hours, Larry. I don't know if you were there. It was this was the two that confounded. We had Ken Stringer and and JP John Pere, the unit production manager, in this fifth season, and um, trying to figure out how to board uh, the show, how to make it work. I, I was with you because we had to rewrite it. I was going to be right there. I remember that night. We went on late. Oh, my God. It just went, it really went to like midnight. It was a, it really, oh, yeah. the late night. This night. one was much later than we usually had out in those warehouses. And the, the the two that were hard to balance was Jenny and, and, uh, and Ian. They were the two. Uh, everybody else, it seemed to kind of work where they were, but they, 
you know, they were. Do you remember that, Dave? Were you in that room? Chuck, do you, I mean, do you want to do you want to explain for everybody what you're talking about? I mean, I don't know how. Yeah. You know what? What would happen is on any given show, you you make a schedule, and on, you know, the, in this back in this day, they were seven day episodes, and so you'd schedule. You you know, it was a lot of moving pieces because you'd have to have the sets and what locations were available you know, and what cast members were available, because this time a lot of times you were scheduling around their life as well. Other appearances, some related to the show, some just because they had personal desires or whatnot. And there was a nightclub. Oh, no, Shannon wasn't there anymore. Forget it. Yeah. (laughs) And then you add into the mix trying to simultaneously do two episodes at the same time. So you're trying to create two schedules that are not just what's the best for the show and how do you handle the production department's needs and all the other things. But now you've got to make them work in concert with each other. And, and you know, I know other people have tried it. I, I'm pretty sure, Chuck, let me be your publicist for a little while. This was the first show to ever do this, right? Yes, Nobody right. had done it before 90210. Yeah. So even Noah and, did it, waited a year before they jumped in. Yeah. And then they and did partially, It was pretty ballsy thing to do, to be quite honest. And, and, you know, the fact that it was a bigger cast and it was an ensemble. But if you had, you know, the need for, in this case, Jenny to be in three of the seven days or four of the seven days in a normal episode. Now you, you've got her in the need to be in three or four days on two episodes over the course of seven working days. So it was a lot of logistics. There were times where actors would be working in the morning on one show yeah. and we, and we had a big enough sound stage, uh, you know, the footprint of the different stages, cause you can't shoot two scenes on the same stage. So there'd be one scene that could be shot on the peach pit on stage. I don't remember the numbers of our stages, if we even had numbers. Um, and then, you know, another scene would, and that scene would maybe have Steve and Jenny and Brian. And then there was a scene going on in the Walsh house that was on a different physical sound stage. So they weren't even uh, interrupting with one's rolling and the other's got to be quiet. Right. But they're on different sound stages and those would have, you know, Carol and James Eckhouse and Jason or whatever. Right. But the, the 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 Herculean effort on these scheduling the Kenny Stringer the scheduling czar and Paul navigating through all these uh, all these different schedules was it was incredible and it was I mean they were stressful enough when it was one episode and then to do what what it, Chuck you did like four or five banks of two at the same time wasn't it like four or five in a row I, I think we had to do eight we had to do it four or five times at least to, to make it work right in the schedule. And so, so the, this probably was the second or third batch when you asked before uh, how what part of the devil of this came in. We had certainly done some before this, I think. You know. Yes, we had done. This was a November done, air date, so I'm just going by that. We did. We, we we yes, we did. We did. We did um, in four eight, each time we did it, so that it, we did it in season four twice, and we I believe we did it in season five twice. So this was the major one. I'm not, and I think it was. Also, uh, an earlier one. No, because it was November Street. But so you did. But there were multiple double ups at the same. Like, it wasn't just these two episodes that went no. back to normal. Wasn't it, was it like block. two or three blocks? Yes. Of two, wow. then two, then two? I mean, it was. Right. That's intense. And then again, to th- you have to have there be double casting for you know for us to be double pre-production, double production, and double post-production. So that mm. that was a you know it, it was a widowmaker. Um, for, for Sarah, I'm sorry, you, you're, you're you're good now. 
we can yeah I, well for the moment it's murphy's <laughs> law that, that as soon as you ask me something i'll see the spinning totally wheel, but, talk yeah. to me about auditioning for 90210 and getting into this universe of it yeah well um wait correct me if i'm wrong chuck maybe you would remember um i seem to remember or maybe i'm just making this up in my head that the original script for the episode had a kiss. I think we did have a kiss, and then at the last minute, I remember they told me it had been taken out. Is that right? Where would the kiss have been? You think, Sarah? Like uh, a kiss goodbye in the in the bathroom. I think we had a we had some kind of like they the You're network first. had decided it was like too racy for two girls wow. to actually. Oh, that was not. Yeah, I'm sure. Right. What you're describing is is what was. I don't remember. But I yeah. would be the person who would make them kiss, and they would be the person to say, no, yeah. they're not going to. Yeah. So I don't know the specifics, but it sounds very right plausible. It says so much about how far we've come, like, societally in such a oh, relatively no short time. And I they mean, had the most trouble. Um, they had the most trouble of any of the issues we would do sexuality, was, was homosexuality. See, they told yeah. me right in the first year, it's a turnoff. And okay, you know, but nonetheless, story-wise, they've been telling stories like this for thousands of, you know, so what are you saying? And we started putting it in and society started changing too. You, you have to remember those who, who study history, 1992, Bill Clinton gets elected. And in 93, the first thing he's going to do is allow gays to be in the military. Mm. And that didn't fly at all with Democrats, by the way, just neither side of the aisle. And so because of that, he, um, we had Don't Ask, Don't Tell don't for yeah. what, how many years that yeah. went on. Yeah. I mean, we, were, we feel like we were ahead of things with this one, though. And also in the other part of the um, in the Stones episode, we have the whole plot where, uh, you know, where, you know, Brandon has a person of color. The guy even calls not you have a person of color lawyer. I say that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, look at that there. You know, that was pretty yeah. interesting. Wow. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, did you find working with Jenny, was that, we we're talking about all these double up stuff. I'm sure yeah. she's wonderful, but did you find her, that must be so challenging for actors, I can imagine, to have to kind of know that I'm doing this at the Stone Show and then also have to do yeah. all this at the fire. What was she like to work with? Did she mention any of this to you that this is? No, she, yeah. was, she was great. She was so gracious and down to earth and just really... Cool. Yeah. We, we kind of really hit it off. I remember then um, Dan, was that the name of her, her guy at the time, um, was in this, was in a band yeah. oh, with oh. members no, yes. of the Wall Street Flowers. Yeah, Dan yeah. was in, the, I kind of knew him already because from the, from being in music, you know, like I'm, I was friends with like the Wallflowers guys. Um, and so that was just like a weird small world connection that we had outside of the show, which was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, she was, she was great. I mean, yeah, I remember being really impressed by how professional she was and how kind of, she always struck me as being just very poised, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, also in this fire episode, we have the storyline where Emily Valentine's back, right? We, we, you, you mentioned that she was at the Stones show before, Chuck. Um, who decides to bring Emily back? And that's, that's great. The fans love that. You, you've always kind of talked about, Chuck, like you have the research of fans like to hear about what's going on with the characters. They like to see the characters coming back. Was this a Jason thing? Like we get 
Christine in this? No, it, it, no, no, it, it wasn't weird. Jason, I mean, obviously they liked working together and they, I, I think I've said in terms of the, at that time I was doing the show and the cast members, J uh, Jason and, and Christine is who we'd hang out with um, more than once. So we knew them that way as well. But no, it really was that, that um, you know, you, you, you have 32 hours and here's a character. We know that the audience likes it. So how many episodes are we going to be able to do? Usually it was, we did it, I'm thinking this one, it was twice. Sometimes we would bring a character back for three episodes. That's about right for an arc. Two episodes, about four episodes when you're doing a, 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 a subplot that you're going to carry over episodes. Uh, Melinda says, ironic that Emily returns for the fire episode. Uh, well, we knew that could be promoted. We knew that could be promoted. Even though she had nothing to do with it, she doesn't show up at the fire. But just the thought that Emily Valentine's coming to 90210, we could put that in their heads. So that was kind of intentional. Oh, really? That's interesting. Well, I mean, I, everyone knew that that was a coincidence there. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the promo department, I remember at the time, promoted that. Diana, when we were talking about the, you know, the perspective of the actors, right, uh, doing double ups, I'm sure you got some of that conversation, like, you, you talked about uh, trying to help, I don't know if you guide them is the right word on like where the arc is going, what's going on between these two episodes to make sure that there's consistency and all that. Do you remember in these particular, in these particular episodes dealing with any of that with the actors? I know it's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised I remember talking to my actors on the last show that I did. <laughs> 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 I know I was I was like I said after I watched the two episodes you sent I went to Wikipedia and read the summary of all the rest of the episodes for the rest of the the show till the season finale because I was like I remember so little of this episode what else don't I remember <laughs> but it was a long time ago <laughs> but I do remember well, double ups were just crazy because of just of all the scheduling with Ken and and the and Rick Gunter the DP and Steve would bump up to to the DP on the other episodes. And, you know, it's just all the logistics of all of that stuff. You know, so also you trying to uh, do your double up crew with a lot of keys from your original crew, just so that your actors and stuff feel, um, feel comfortable between the two episodes. There's people on each episode, each uh, crew that they know and they feel comfortable with. Right, that, that was, was always, important. you know, that was really yeah. important. Yeah. Um, and Melanie, do you have some fan questions? I do. Uh, we've actually covered a lot of them so far. This has been a very thorough episode. So great yep. job, guys. Um, <laughs> this question from Beth. Um, she was wondering if Diana's last name uh, was used to create Emily Valentine's last name. That's, That's what they told me. <laughs> okay. It must be true. It must be true. <laughs> hey, Diana, have those have those royalty checks cleared? <laughs> no, no damn it. Mention yeah. <laughs> those. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, so this question comes from Alicia, and she said that both episodes had a lot of things going on. Uh, there were a few very different storylines all going at the same time. And what was the most challenging aspect of filming both of those episodes together, if you had to pin it down to one thing? Well, I think it was what, um, I think David actually talked about that, uh, you know, the idea that 
how it, it's not just being able to do what's best for the show. You have two variables, what's best for the show and what's best for the actors, because they have to go back and forth. So I think probably of everything, that sounds to me would be the toughest. Um, the other was, uh, uh, you know, we, we kept, um, that was from a production standpoint, that was the toughest. From okay. the uh, from the author, from a administrative standpoint, what was the toughest was continually to answer the questions that the uh, Rolling Stones management had about what we were going to do and how we were going to do it, and things that we seemed to go over. Uh, five three days later, we'd be going over again, and it went on like that a lot. And uh, they uh, and we went through a publicist actually, their longtime publicist, and uh, Fran Curtis is her name, and was her name. I'm sure she's still doing it. I hope so. She's a very nice lady. But I remember her calling me on the the, the, the after it aired, and uh, was happy. They, they told me the band was happy with the episode, and that they wanted to know when it's going to air in all the other countries because it, they were starting their world tour. And their mm -hmm. world tour is why they, we found out that moment was the reason that they agreed to do it in the first place because they had the veto power not to do it with Fox. But <clears throat> maybe a selling point was, hey, these guys are in 85, 115 countries around the world. You're going on tour. It's good. All of that. Um, and I explained to them that uh, each one was on its own schedule and good luck. Chuck, I yeah, thought you were going to say that the question that the question the Rolling Stones had was, "Does Luke get out of the hospital?" <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> you know, one thing I wanted to ask Chuck. I remember we, we had two names for this, and I think I think because originally we were going to call it the Voodoo that Voodoo you you knew so well or you do so well, but we had right. to call it the Rock of Ages because probably we didn't have the rights to the Voodoo. Uh, lounge at that point. That's what I'm thinking. Why it has two names? It was like a code name for a while. You know, those they think of everything. These stones, and they actually uh, copyrighted the word voodoo. I, wow. I don't know how they got to do that, but they yeah. did. And I don't know. We had to. We had to change it. They asked us, I guess. But didn't I think? But I have the script and over here, and it says that it doesn't say rock. Does that voodoo? It says voodoo. Yeah. No, I think yeah, in the end we, we we went it over. We got it. Yeah, right. up until the last Chuck, moment, it was called Rock Vegas. Too, but this is, I think, is interesting that the cat they didn't really give you a lot of songs to choose from. It's not like you have the entire library of music picked yeah, out. That was also a challenge. <laughs> yeah, because they, they, the Rolling Stones had sold their catalog to a man who really uh, wanted to uh, really ex raise the numbers so that you almost couldn't use them. A kind of a, a, a precursor of what happened to all the music that we used on 90210. But um, so we had to look in what songs were in that the Stones did that weren't in their, you know, their catalog that they wrote. So we had the Bo Diddley songs. Well, it starts with the Bo Diddley song. Um, which one's that, Larry? The, you know, which... Um, I think the first one is actually from the Voodoo Lounge album. The first, uh, the first thing we well, heard, we, we uh, can use Voodoo Lounge. They would let yeah. us use that. Yeah, I mean, and there were some good songs in that. And I mean, for some reason, you got me we rock can use It's Only Rock rocking. and Roll. So we had you a got rocking, song, yeah. it's only rock and roll, and then off the Voodoo Lounge tour. Yeah. And I think we could put on. Didn't camera. we also have Start? Didn't we have Start Me Up in there as well? Yeah, we did. Yeah, Start Me Up. They let live, live. You did, yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah live. Well, maybe they they gave let us do that after some 
negotiation, I guess. Or... I also think it's an interesting story about the tape. Uh, we talked about the, the, the videotape debacle of trying to find the jersey tape. I think that's an interesting story about how did you, David, how did you even, you were looking for footage of the Stones playing, and then how did you find out that uh, that these, this company had the, the, the recorded it? Chuck, do you remember, uh, did we have that footage... No, we were uh, going to go down to. We were going to go. What? Well, this oh, is an interesting right. thing. We were going to shoot it. That's we actually right. were going to go shoot it in San Diego. That's yeah. right. And I knew a independent production company. I thought these people were my friend. They, you know, we agreed on a price, and then they wanted three times more, and I just didn't have it, and they weren't going to let me go. So now, what are we going to do? So we started trying to find other people, who, other groups who could do it. And the thing about Mick Jagger, and I, and and. I feel it's what Mick Jagger had most in common with Aaron Spelling is that being the kind of celebrity that they are, they lived in the present tense right at that moment. You know, what happened in the past, it was in the past. In the future, who knows? But we're here now. And so Mick Jagger, we, we presented at least two groups to him. Uh, I mean, production groups, you know, Cam, you know, package, people who had done his... Uh, uh, shot videos of him and shot his concerts in 1983. Well, he didn't want them. He wanted somebody very modern. And I think we knew that as a criticism. And 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 now I give it to Dave. I think it just had come out and you had found that. You, you called me up. I remember on a Sunday and said, these are the guys. They're in Studio City. I don't even know if they're there. Meanwhile, what was what were we doing? Larry and Steve Wasserman and I were looking at the script and figuring out if we don't have these plots, what else can we put in to fill it? What else? What other plot can we find to do it? So we, that was our backup. That's what we were doing at the time. So Dave calls me, and I, I remember driving. I'm finding the house up on Laurel Canyon and the thrill of having the, the call from this uh, – Jim Gable was his name to say, Eureka, you found it. Yeah, it was great footage too. They did it. I thought they did an amazing job. Yeah, absolutely. Melanie, what other questions do you have? Do you have some, uh, uh, anything for Sarah? Let's see. Uh, there was a question about how it was working with Jenny, but we already addressed that one. Yeah, but, so, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, you know, Zara, one of our top fans, was wondering uh, if they were planning to unite Brandon and Emily for good at this point, or if she was brought back just to put Brandon and Kelly to the test. Good question. Well, I would say that uh, she was, you know, look, she was, it was going to be a great situation because she was going to basically prevent Brandon from going to the rave party, which was going to make him feel really guilty because his girlfriend, you know, was burned in the fire. So it was just that she was, she was serving the show. We, uh, you know, we always, you know, we're going to work the uh, the Brandon Kelly thing. And uh, actually, we're starting to move toward the cult thing, as I remember now. I'm thinking about she gets out of the rehab and she ends up in the cult, right? There would yeah. have not been, we would not have been able to do the cult plot at all. Uh, I'm having flashbacks of Alan Toy right now. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> you wouldn't have been able to do it if um, at, at all if, mm. if we hadn't had the fire. That it just it would have meant made no sense. I mean, we need some and, and we use it as such. Yeah. Okay. Before you, um, Chuck, real quick, before you said that you were thinking of B plots for uh, in case you didn't have the footage. Do you remember what any of those things were? 
We were going to have Drew come out and sing. I think that was, that was I'll tell you, I think Valerie probably had a, had one because she was kind of underutilized in these episodes, kind of. So I think probably it was something to do with Valerie, I suspect. Probably. I mean, we were just, you know, free spinning. And and let's be fake, truthful. We're talking about it. But in, in my when we lived in Westwood and I had a back office and stuff and I had a television and it was a Sunday and the NFL was playing. So without the sound, never with the sound, but we would just kind of be looking at it. And then in between, uh, you know, plays, we, what, what how about that? What, are you <laughs> what else you got, Melanie? You know, there was a lot of talk asking if uh, it was ever a consideration for Allison and Kelly to get together. And we did kind of address that as well. But there were a lot of fans who were interested to know if that was going to be a storyline um, down the road. But it sounds like that was a network issue. So probably wouldn't have happened. Chuck, we're having a hard time. Hearing you. There you go. Go ahead. You're good. I told him one of the reasons I just, I, I, I'm besides I'm burnt to a crisp, was that the only original story that I got in my arsenal now to do was is about lesbians. That's all. This is that was the only thing that had interested me at that point creatively. Like, what would Jenny do, and how would it be, and beauty and stuff like that that I had known. I mean, obviously working with Larry and and Jess and 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 whoever, we we would have come up with a lot of storylines. And and could have you know moved for it, but really yes, that that would have been a really something to be interesting. Even something. To, what if they had met four years? I mean, after we were out of the show, I, I think that edict about bring people back that you use was uh, didn't get passed on to the last bunch who did the show. No. I mean, we did play the thing out pretty good. I mean, Sarah was you know we had a number of episodes. We, I mean, actually played it all the way out to the season ender. Um, no, it was, oh, an, it was an important you know, relationship for, for Kelly Taylor. Yeah, I mean, it, op it opened up, you know, a whole other side because before that she was going to be this shallow model and she kind of uh, came to grip with her life a little bit. Exactly. A question yeah. for Sarah popped up. Did people recognize you on the street after your episode and ask oh. you about your time at 90210? I'm sure that's Oh, a yeah. Oh, this is the funniest thing. So I remember this is a long time after I was on the show which by now is still a long time ago, but it was like maybe, I don't know, like almost 10 years ago, let's say. Um, and I was standing in line at the post office and I was talking on my cell phone and it was just my voice. It wasn't even, it was just my voice. This girl in front of me turned around and she goes, excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you, but I, or were you Allison? <laughs> oh and wow! I was like, yeah, she's like, I recognized your voice. <laughs> Karen, Karen, my wife Karen got that too, playing the um, your ex-girlfriend because that was the part. Oh. She was the old yeah, yeah, we girls on the side script, yeah, yeah, yeah. girls on the side, right? And she did that, and she had one line in in a show in uh, one scene we've talked about in the bathroom. And uh, um, Nolly Thornton, yeah, yeah, Nolly Thornton and 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 uh, and Luke, and um, and so to, so I understand maybe you getting recognized. I her voice, and it was the same thing. It was yeah. based on her voice. So I guess most of the people, and we can ask the fans this: fans, are you listening with headphones? Is that is that why the voice, the voice, you know? It goes well, I do think. I got a question know. for the fans, Melanie. Here's a question for the fans. 
Okay. One of the, act, one of the people in this cast, in this particular, in, in, in the uh, Up in Flames, was in another episode as well. What's the actress and what are the two episodes? Ooh. Ooh, that's a tough one. I, 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 I think I know, but I'm, I'm not going to say. Nobody here is going to, maybe Larry might, nobody here I, no. is going to know, but the people who are listening, you know, what is it going to be, Melanie, about 90 seconds it'll come in? Yeah, people Right, are, I'm monitoring the comments, so I'm sure we'll <laughs> yeah, see that one come through. I, I have a, co a question we should ask uh, David and Diana, because we, we do, you know, we, we all love and remember Luke, but I wanted to know how your experience is working with Luke. No, it's, it's, we, we've always asked people this, and it's, it, we just really want to know. Yeah. We, we miss him. Diana? Uh, I loved working with Luke from the first day on the set, and we had we had a really close relationship um, on the show, um, kind of like brother and sister to much older sister, but still brother and sister. And I remember one night um, we were shooting and I think it was probably in season six or the beginning of season seven, but um, he was ad-libbing something and I went up and I said, Luke, you can't say that. I said, your character would not say that. And he'd say, how, do, how would you know what my character would say? And I'd say, Luke, you would say that, but your character wouldn't say that. And he goes, Diana, what does it say on the back of your chair? It doesn't say director. And I said, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Diana was the a script supervisor is the writer's friend, as we were talking about. Before. Yeah, she predicts the words. And uh, nobody was better than that. I would once in a while you would make even a, a fuss about it. And I would, you know, find out only one time. Did I may and and really the the, the one who uh, liked to change the the dialogue the most was Luke, and I only made him one time be shoot shoot it because I said you can you can paraphrase and butcher lines by a man named Rosen, but if you're gonna do Shakespeare, you gotta say the lines as written, you know. And uh, so I, I made him in the Christmas episode. David, yeah. David, I'm curious about you. Did you you had some experience working with Luke? Sure. Right. I I loved Luke. Uh, it was very very difficult for me when he uh, left us, uh, you know, in such an untimely way. Uh, we were very friendly beyond just working together on the show, and I actually did another pilot with him for a show years later. Uh, I just found him want to be one of the most genuine, uh, decent people I know. Diana, you and he were very close, but I have I. One of two stories I'll tell. There are two stories that I tell that uh, when people ask me about Luke. Um, I was also, before I started directing on the show, and I think I ended up doing, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 episodes, Chuck. I don't even remember. But I was the associate producer on the show. And uh, that was the person who oversaw post-production. And one of my responsibilities was to loop with the actors, to do sometimes to record the voices afterwards. And I remembered I was, well, there's three stories I tell Luke. You remember you sent me to San Antonio, Chuck, to get some looping with him once? That he was I don't making remember. that movie. He was oh, when he was doing movie. the movie on the bull. Eight seconds, yeah. All right. Eight seconds. Anyway, this was sometime we were shooting, and it was just at the height of the show's popularity. And I went out to see him for something, and they were shooting on location at the, I, I'm pretty sure it was the high school, uh, Torrance, Chuck. 
Yes. Is it Torrance High School? In, in the high and, school, uh, third season. Yeah, Torrance. And the, the the base camp, which is where the trailers for the makeup and, and all the different services and, and the actors, and they had set it up in such a way, but there was this huge fence, and there were hundreds and hundreds of kids waiting to see the moment that the actors would come out of their trailer and walk to the van to be driven to set. And they would, it, it was literally like Beatlemania. The, the actors would go banana. I mean, the, 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 the fans would go crazy. And so I'd gone to see Luke in his trailer and we were walking out and we were walking and amidst all this massive pandemonium, he was just, you know, he'd gotten so used to it, but we were walking along and on the, the road, the, 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 one of the parking lot roads, there was a speed bump, right? And Luke looks at the speed bump and he turns to me with all these fans screaming. He's one of the hottest things in the world. He says to me, uh, you know, before I, before I made it as an actor, I did a lot of things. I did construction amongst other things. I put that speed bump in. <laughs> and he said it was such pride. He said it was such pride. He looked at it and he's like, you know what? It's holding up pretty good. I did a good job. <laughs> and he said it with such pride and such humility. And I just thought that's who that guy was. He yeah. just, he just, he was the most genuine, sweet guy. You know, no matter how long it had been since you'd seen him, he acted like he couldn't have been happier to see you. He had that quality that certain people have where when you feel like you're talking to him, he was 100% focused on you. What's your other one? You said you had two stories. Uh, another time, I can't remember if I was directing or if we had looped or something like that. I saw this little article, by the way, the third story I'm not going to tell is when I went down to see him in San Antonio and I got, he and I got in a little trouble, but, um, but I, uh, I, um, I had seen some article or I'd seen something that I, that, that, um, Luke was driving back home or maybe he had, he had had a farm in Kentucky. And I think he was driving back and somewhere along the way he had stopped at a diner and he, he was reading the paper and he saw that there was some school at whatever little town in Nebraska or whatever that didn't have a ramp. Some one of the kids in the school was uh, in a wheelchair um, and they didn't have the means to, to build a ramp for this kid to be able to access school on a regular basis. So Luke called up the school and said, I'll pay for it. Oh. And when I saw this thing, I said, why did you do that? I said, you know, there was no publicity surrounding it, nothing. I don't even know how I found out about it. Maybe I can't remember somebody told me or something like that. And he literally looked at me and he said, if I didn't do it, who was going to do it? Hmm. Oh. Yeah, touching up. What if Drew, okay. now you didn't, Drew, you didn't have director or whatever, but how did Luke affect like a department like you, like you and Tom and the construction? Uh, Luke, was he in your Luke, world too? Absolutely. I mean, Luke was one of those people that he was everywhere. And if you worked on the company with him, he sought you out at some point. I mean, my, my daughter was born in February of 2000 and my wife brought her to the stage uh, to come up for lunch. And Luke happened to be walking by and he took our baby Bjorn and took Eva and walked her around and introduced her to everybody. You know, I'm like, my wife is still like, she's just like, I still can't believe he did that, you know? 
And it was just that selfless quality that he had that he wanted to just celebrate in everybody else's joy. No question. You know, just that I can still just remember the look he was so happy that that I had a child. You know, mm. I'll never I'll never forget that. Yeah. That's beautiful stuff, man. I love hearing those stories about Luke. You know, he was a very unique person in Hollywood. Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, Sarah, when you look back on this episode and you look at your work in this, I mean, I think the work is phenomenal. I think we can all agree that this, this, these two episodes are some of the best here. Uh, how do you, what do you think when you look back on these episodes? Was it good times for you uh, doing these these couple things? Um, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, I think I was, uh, I mean, this is like, you know, we don't need to have a whole therapy session about, you know, <laughs> my life or anything, but that being said, Here we go. you know, back then I think I just wasn't a very, uh, I, I took a lot of things for granted, you know, just in general, it took a lot of it. I, I How many people never, here right now have you know take things for granted? Have taken things for granted? Like raise your hand, like everybody. <laughs> yeah. Melanie, you can raise your hand too. Yeah. <laughs> and just with that's just, just a natural you. thing, especially it's when you. you're younger. Yeah, you yeah. Know, every, I mean, I I, I, I took it for granted that there would be another show after nine hundred two one zero. Right. And while there were, there was never another nine hundred two one zero. And so I'm on a loop here. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I you know, I remember. I remember just feeling like, I mean, you were asking like, did people recognize me in the streets? Yeah, totally, like all the time. And it was, it was very exciting. It was exciting to be on a show that was super popular and all that. But to me, it just was like, all I could think of is like, well, why am I not in a Merchant Ivory movie? <laughs> Where is my <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter, you know, role? Like I, I could never be. It was like always that thing of like you get to one rung and then you're just like, well, why am I not there? You know. Mm -hmm. And so. And that was really prevalent when, in the years you're talking about. Every, yeah. you know, in our cast, and Diana will, will will confirm this. You know, a lot of them love to be there, and the other half was looking out. How can we go some do other shows, get other places? Mm. It was a natural thing. Now everybody. Very happy what they're doing. Yeah. Well, it's, also, it's also just, I mean, a lot of it to me is just, it came from just being immature and just being, and not getting the fact that, you know, life isn't about that. And just kind of, I had to sort of get off of the achievement train for a minute in order to sort of like ground myself into the present and realize how grateful I was to just, for just the present. And then I think COVID is doing that for a lot mm. of us too, because we can't really, it's like that whole FOMO of like planning and plotting your career and where are you going next and what are you doing then and where are you going and what are you doing? It's just evaporated and in a, in a way there's kind of a spiritual silver lining to that. For me yeah. anyways, which yeah, is, you know, just letting yeah. go, letting go of a lot of like pressure, maybe self-induced. Sure. You know, I was going to say, Pete, uh, did anyone see the uh, Tori Spelling did a bit where she plays all the characters on 90210? It's on YouTube, yeah. and you should check it out. It's part of her show. You know, she's really wacky because you were talking about, you know, Chuck, about the, half the cast wasn't interested. Tori was always interested. When there'd be a new script on the pile, she'd come in there really excited to read it. And now, of course, she's doing this YouTube where she plays all her characters. I think she has a show <laughs> that she needs uh, social media support. What's the show called, yeah. Peter? It's celebrity show off, right? Show off. Celebrity show off. Yeah. Yep. Celebrity show off. That's right. Yeah. 
Do you have more info about the best way to help Tori out? Isn't it just go to her Instagram, click on the YouTube link, watch it all the way through and comment and like on it. And then it helps her out, you know, getting votes for that show. So let's help Tori out all the way here. Yeah. Yeah, she like knocks herself yeah. out like a word wizard of Austin and she imagines herself playing all the characters. It's worth hilarious. Uh, David, yeah. for you looking back on these episodes, uh, do you have fond memories of 90210? Is it fun to revisit? Oh my God, yes. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it's it's where I started in many ways. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, there are some great people on that show. Obviously, the people on this uh I was very excited to see Drew and Diana. I see Diana every now and then. Um, Larry, I haven't seen since that that stellar performance. But um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they, they were. You know, it was it was it, it, you know to Chuck's point, like it's really fun being involved in something that is is affecting so many people and and entertaining so many people. And you know, I even when I was watching these. Sh uh, episodes and I remembered at the time, but you know, Chuck did a lot, Chuck and Larry and the whole gang, they did a lot of brave stuff in the writing of the show. There was, there were, they were really kind of ahead of the curve on addressing so many of the social issues. Obviously it's one, I think one of the things that made the so show so successful. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a really, it was a special and fun time. Yeah. Diana, how about you? Taking a look I back. Have to, I have to say, yeah, I mean it was it's it's great, but I have to tell you guys, uh, when I would go in for interviews for script supervising, inevitably somebody who was interviewing me said, Nine oh two and oh, tell me about that. Oh my god, I was so addicted to that show. <laughs> that that was always the show that they were like, Tell me about that show. What the heck was that show like? You know, they were that's um, I I did a couple of episodes on Greek filling in for somebody and the the creator of Greek, he said that show changed my life. So, yeah, from a writer's perspective, you go in and they say you did not into an O. It's too bad you didn't do a good show because <laughs> <laughs> it was an Aaron Spelling show. It was looked down. It was looked down upon. It was looked down upon. Stigma to be working for Aaron Spelling. It, it's right. true. You, you guys, uh, Gil Shilton, who had directed uh, the Fire episode, you know it. Um, because he did a lot of spelling shows um, and spelling episodes, um, it was really hard for him after uh, the shows ended and stuff for him to get hired other places. He'd kind of gotten pigeonholed into that spelling camp, and you know he's a very good director. So yes, he was very much. I know it's crazy. Hey Drew, how about you? Looking back on this, does it put you in a different mindset from since you've left that world a little bit, or what, what do you think about the episodes looking back? Oh, it, it, it reminds me of, of just, you know, the, those crazy times in my 20s where I could, you know, work 17 hours a day and it didn't bother me whatsoever. You know, I can't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it is one of those times that, you know, over the years when somebody finds out that you worked on that show, they're very interested. Oh, they want it. It used to be, is she really that big of a bitch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told my wife, we go to a party, please don't tell anybody what I work on because they're just going to talk about them. <laughs> Drew, was she? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my experience is always somebody says, what show did you work on? And I and I say, well, Beverly Hills 902 and 0. And they look at me and then I say, and I was the 
producer of Northern Exposure. Oh, I love that show. You know, if they're an older person, they'll, they'll give me that. And boy, I had so many people used to come up to me and say, um, you know, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, I've never seen your show. And I would usually say to them, well, that's okay. You're not in my demographic. <laughs> we missed opportunity to have the Rolling Stones on the show. Are you talking about this show? Uh, oh, well, yes. We should yeah, have had them on. on. Our, our podcast. Yeah, where's, where's Mick? Uh, um, right? Jess wants to know oh. the answer to your trivia question, Chuck. Yeah. Right. Okay. The character, I'm sorry, with the the um, the character who played Dana. Allison's girlfriend, Dana. 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 Well, I, I, you said nobody on this show, on this on this podcast, was going to be able to answer the question. That I was going to answer the question. Oh, go for it, Dave. Well, no, I mean, I. I well, there was a fan yeah. that commented. Uh, Karen Rosen was the other one. Is that correct? Oh. <laughs> she oh, played the yes, fix is in. Wasn't in this any of these episodes. She was in the fire okay. episode uh -huh. and then she played the kid and then she was in a different one as a season. But in season four, first of all, the oh, person she was named Christine Mejia and she was our uh, nanny and assistant <laughs> she, she, who <laughs> came out of UCLA, lived near UCLA and she lived there and she wanted to be an actress at that point. And so she was the one in the 60s episode when I guess uh, I'll promote, you know, in a few weeks, Jason Priestley and I are going to talk about him as a director. He'll yeah. be coming on. Uh, Diana, you should come on that too. Ask him how he, you know, uh, would, would uh, get coverage and make sure they, the cameras yes. are right, right? Um, but the, uh, you know, we, we would do this. She's the one who's pulled out the joint and said, Acapulco Gold to try to get, you know, some of our characters to do it. And, um, so she's she's the one I was thinking about. Wait, yeah. so what was the character's name? Okay, I missed Dana. Her. Dana. She's okay. Dana in this Dana. one, and there yeah. she's hippie girl number one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Melody, uh, there was one more uh, question from Fabian. He was wondering, actually, he read somewhere that uh, Little Richard was a guest star on Rock of Ages. Uh, first, is that correct? And if so, did he play himself, or did he play a character? And why did the scenes get cut? You know what? Um, he didn't know. He wasn't in, the episode that he was this in episode. was the final. Um, uh, the episode I, that was it was called. Um, she came in through the bathroom window. It was Jason's first directing assignment, and uh, Ken Stringer, who we were talking about as the the the, um, the guru of the uh, double up, yeah. was a writer and wanted to be a writer. He's an AD, and this was his first script. And um, and you know we we had a guest star in Burt Reynolds. Mm -hmm. We wanted a big you know guest star to show up, and it was pretty hard for us to get one. And so uh, Mr. Spelling called Burt and said, "Would you please do this?" And, and he showed up. But the one we got on our own was Little Richard, mm. and we had a and it was going to be the last scene, and we filmed with him for David. 20, David, 20, David, 20, David, David's calling a timeout. I'm Chuck. I may be completely remembering this wrong, and I'm ultimately going to defer to you. Didn't I direct Little Richard, and wasn't it a coda to Rock of Ages? You know, I've seen a still picture which shows it was. I mean, I, I didn't remember it myself. I feel bad. I didn't get I'm almost positive because um, it's the after the concert, and everybody's in the peach pit, 
And there's I mean, Richard. It is, yeah. but believe me, it is completely possible that I'm remembering this wrong. But I thought I directed him. Oh boy. <laughs> well, I, would have, I would have had to have written it. So, it was my script. Um, you I, I did you not write it, Larry? Did I, you write I, it? I sort of remember this, but I, I don't. I mean, it's. I, but I've seen a still which says voodoo, you know, that he's in the Stone Show, and I wasn't sure of it. I, I have to ask Darren Martin. Darren Martin will know. Yes, Darren, if you're watching, please. Um, well, I correct me too because I thought he was in the Burt Reynolds one. Now, for how many years is that? So uh, I, I, I yeah. like to get my head straight on it too. Uh, um, Magda pointed out that she said Dana, and she was upset that she didn't get the shout out. So there you go, you got that answer, <laughs> Magda. Thank Good you, job, Magda. Thanks, Magda. <laughs> yep. Or Chuck Um, <laughs> guys, I think we kind of nailed double ups here. I think we we covered it. We we. I don't think there's much more we can say about it. Um, it was there was uh, one thing I want to say. Uh, uh, Up in Flames was written by Meredith Steen, who went on to create Cold Case and work on Homeland. And the, the character in the rehab, Jeff King, was very good. I thought he did a bunch of shows for us through the end. He really was strong in, in challenging Luke and making that really seem real. And you'll notice in the in the rehab room, uh, the characters are named uh, uh, Shira, which is Jessica's daughter, and Dee, which was my wife. And we always stuck stuff in there. Anyway, I just want to add that. No, that's great. I love that stuff. Um, also, maybe real quick, Char uh, the character Charlie that's in this... Uh, that's in this the, the the drug scenes with Dylan. Somebody was asking me about that. Where did that name come from? Where did he come from? Uh, creating that character. Well, he's going to bring in the uh, you know the whole uh, past life therapy thing. He's going to become the writer and you know become the vehicle. That's, that's what the, that's what use. the screenplay is writing about. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, was Charlie named after Chuck Rosen or was he named after Charlie Watts? Oh yeah, Char uh, sure, sure, both. Charlie Brown, I thought. Charlie, Charlie Brown. Brown. Charlie Horse. I don't know. Sometimes the name is clear. The commercial know. when he's walking down the street. There's so many Charlie choices. Definitely. It's true. It's true. All right, guys. I think we wrapped this. We got yeah. this really, really great. Um, next week, Chuck, we're, do, we're we're bringing Bethany Rooney on, right? Mm -hmm. She's directed, and we're going to talk Bethany. about a couple episodes. Um, Bethany, and, you know, if I start listing, you know, what, what we start with um, – you know, perfect mom and things to do on a rainy day and uh, oh, we had that stormy weather. Stormy weather, we're going to do a little bit. And, uh, yeah, lovers leap, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, stormy, stormy weather. Which should we just? So talk she about was her? there. She directed episode number three. Uh, so she can uh, four actually, but it aired third because it was so good. The first time we'll be talking about it in in depth. Drew, you you were you there in the first twelve? Uh, I was not there the first season. I did Diana, you were. You can't, I remember when Diana came because uh, the other script supervisor. I came after Christmas the first year. Yeah, I remember writing the show. I tell, I tell that, I tell that story a lot. <laughs> you know, I saw a comment here that Ray, uh, Ray, you know, Ray About Pruitt, the first script supervisor. <laughs> was that, oh yeah, Ray Pruitt. So Ray Pruitt, the fireman, became a fireman. He he actually That's saved true. people in the fire, yeah. and then in real life, he became a fireman. Yes, I did. I did oh. forget about that. Yes, I saw that. I he was the hero. Yeah, uh, he was great in this too. By the way, I mean, what is what a what a friggin' awesome thing to do is like you know you talked about it before him playing on the stone stage and you've got that awesome shot of him at the empty you know the empty stadium. I mean, that was pretty pretty awesome for Jamie Walters, I would imagine at that point. But you anyway, guys, on that stage with yeah. the empty room. I mean, Dave, you and I on the. On the scout, I had to do a little mick dance. It was 
That was incredible. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. <laughs> Wish we had a video of that, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, listen, guys, I thought this was great. I just always all about gratitude these days. Listen to Sarah, Diana, David, Drew. Um, thank you so much for the work that you did on this show. Uh, you know, somebody said that the, the show made a difference in their lives. And I think the, the work that you did, even though it's so long ago, it is true. It does resonate to many people, including myself. And that's why I love doing this show with Chuck and Larry. So that's right. Picket, Picket Fence won the Emmys, but nobody talks about Picket Fence. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good show. But much love to you guys for, for the work that you did. I can't thank you enough. And David, I love the heroes stuff and a, a lot of the other stuff that you did in Diana as well. So so, uh, thank, you. thank you so much for being here and doing this. And Melanie, thank you for filling in for uh, Lily. This is great, guys. Uh, we will see you great all to see everybody next week. Bye, all. All right, Bye. later. Bye. 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 Bye.